Come on, let's give God some glory for everything he did at Collide Conference. (laughs) Well, in case you've been living under a rock, we just got done with our uh, student conference, Collide Conference. We had just over 2,000 students gather at our Greater Little Rock campus. And uh, I was there Friday night, and my goodness, that place was shaken. It was amazing. And uh, I I loved it. We started it uh, with, with one of our student pastors um, actually the brother of our, our real life pastor, Seth Tamboli, and he was declaring over the students who they're going to be and who they are and who God has always seen them as being and just breaking down cultural labels in these, this idea that this generation is just going to idly stand by and let the world define who they are, but instead to be defined by the word of God and who Jesus says that they are. And it was amazing. It was so good. I'm so thankful to have a lead pastor, Pastor Rick, man, and Michelle, who believe in this generation. And uh, so good. It was a great, great couple of days. And I'm sure you will hear lots of testimonies. Even the first night, first night I was there when they gave the invitation for salvation. I, I bet you 40, 50 kids' hands went up. Uh, to give their life, to get the right life right with Jesus. And so, awesome, awesome. It's exciting to be a part of the body of Christ, amen? Well, we started this mini-series last week out of my book, uh, the book of James, and uh, not really. but uh, And so just to give you a little bit of review, you might have missed last week. Uh, I know it's been summertime, a lot of people in and out. Uh, we're getting ready to kick off the school year, though, so uh, it'll be good to have everybody back. But we start off by talking about the book of James. Who was that written by? There are actually two disciples that had the name James, and neither one of them actually wrote the book of James. The book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. And the interesting thing about James was, during Jesus' ministry, during those three years, and in fact, most of his life, James didn't believe that Jesus was Lord. And even watching all the miracles, in fact, at one point in the book of Mark, you can read about this, where Jesus' siblings all wanted to have Jesus institutionalized because he was going around telling everybody that he was God. And they were saying, well, you crazy. And, and, but here's the deal. There was this major game changer that happened in Jesus' life or in James's life, and that is the resurrection. Because how many of y'all know, if you think your brother's crazy, he's calling himself Lord, and then he's dead, and then three days later, he shows up and has breakfast with you. That's a game changer. Like all of a sudden, you're like, oh, there might be something to this. And so he gets radically transformed and saved, and then he begins to pastor the church in Jerusalem. And so he, he gets to this place of maturity. Now he's on fire. And last week, we talked about in chapter one, basically how to have joy in trials how God has created us through the blood of Jesus Christ to be able to live in such a way that we can consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. We touched a little bit on chapter two, but basically chapter two is just talking about how we shouldn't show favoritism towards people. How just because somebody looks important or looks wealthy or looks like they have together that we shouldn't treat them any better than we treat anybody else. And it goes on to talk about how faith without works is dead in correlation to how we treat people, how we love on people. I want to give a quick shout out uh, to our Dream Center team. We were at Adopt-A-Block yesterday and had an amazing day. And uh, we we don't have like a recap video or anything, but I encourage you to go on. We got a lot of pictures, man. Just loving on 
a community uh, just north of Jacksonville down there. And we're able to get, I think we gave 52 pairs of shoes away to kids and supplied a bunch of backpacks and school supplies. We had a couple of ladies down there giving free haircuts all day long to these kids and they were looking good. And, uh, and we had the fire department come out and a, and a couple of police officers that showed a canine dog and we sicked a canine dog on a couple of kids that give us a lot of problems. And, and, uh, that was awesome. Just joking about that. Kind of hope maybe someday it will happen, but not, uh, but anyway, so it was just a, an amazing, amazing, amazing day. And man, it's my heart. You guys have to know this. And a lot of you get this, but there are some of you that you are very comfortable in your chair right now and you're too comfortable. And there is a lost and dying world outside of these four walls. And you better believe we got to be doing everything we can to reach and love them. And so that's what chapter two is all about. Chapter two is just making sure, hey, God loves the broken. God loves the dirty. God loves the smelly. God loves the poor. God loves the addicted. God loves the broken in their marriage. God loves, he loves them equally. So today I want to get into James chapter three. And, uh, and so James basically in this chapter, he's addressing the church and he's talking about how the church is a family. Uh, and that's a huge part for us. That's a part of our, our values is to understand like the body of Christ, the church, this should be a home for people. That's why we say things like welcome home. This is a family and God, our father, he is the father of our family. He's talking about though, look, one of the major things that can mess this family up and destroy it quicker than anything is your words. How you speak, how you talk to each other, how you talk about each other. It's important. And so we get into this in James chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Dang it. Uh, We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. So what James is not saying is that we should be perfect because we know that we're not. Okay, you can elbow your neighbor and say you messed up. Okay, because it's true. We, none of us are perfect. We all have issues. We all have problems. But it does say that teachers need to be kept in check. Teachers need to understand that the, the responsibility they have and the things that they communicate, it has leverage in people's lives. So since he starts with teachers, I'll start with me. Out of the 18 years that I've been doing full-time ministry, the things that I regret the most are the wrong words that I've said. Or sometimes the right words with the wrong tone. Or sometimes the right words with the right tone at the wrong time. That's what I regret the most, honestly. Uh, Every Sunday when I get done with the services, one of the things that I can get in a pit quicker than anything is thinking back, man, I don't know if I said that the best way. Or in a conversation with someone, man, I don't know if I was as loving and gracious as I could have been with that person. The problem is, man, and being a pastor, honestly, I love it. But sometimes the weight of this responsibility can get really ugly sometimes. And sometimes I'm not sure how to deal with it. And sometimes I just straight up get in my flesh when I talk to people, when I address people. James is saying to me, look, you've got to get this right. The problem is I love being blunt. I love being blunt. How many blunt people in the house? Any blunt people? Okay. 
Uh, blunt people don't mind raising their hand in church because they blunt. They want everybody to know they blunt. I don't have a problem with blunt people. Like I could get done with this service right now, walk out and forward, and somebody can come to me like, hey, your message stunk and you're ugly. And I'd be like, all right, cool. You want to go get some coffee? I like blunt people. Let's do this. And also love sarcasm. It can be so much fun, you know? I mean, God has gifted me with sarcasm. Like, it's one of the areas I'm anointed in. And golly. But, but the problem is words can hurt. Words can hurt. Uh, they, they carry weight. People who teach, their words carry even a little more weight. And I have to be aware of that. I have to be aware that sometimes the things I say can hurt people. Like, for instance, I know that, I know that with Razorback fans, there are three words that still hurt you so much. I got it. And you know, man, like that. Those are three words, man, that are going to hurt for a long time. Oh, no. I guess I did it. Hurtful words. Seriously, though, I have, to be, I have to be loving. The problem is, in my natural state, the way that I think loving people really works is when I'm letting them know how skewed they are. And everybody's a little skewed up, okay? But, but me trying to tell people, but the problem is the word says this, love must be sincere, then hate what is evil. Uh, there's an order there, right? Like unless you're sincerely, unless you really sincerely love someone, care about someone, you have no business telling them where they're messed up. You have no business telling them where they're off. You have no business telling them where their thinking is wrong until you sincerely love them. And here's the thing. It's not your opinion of whether or not you sincerely love them. I love them. I love them. Do. That's why I tell them the stuff I tell them. It's not your opinion that matters. It's their opinion. So unless they're convinced that you sincerely love them, it still doesn't matter. The problem is <laughs> I get the cart and the horse in the wrong order sometimes. And, I, I, and I'm not always more interested in loving them the way God loves them before I'm letting them know where they may be off in the relationship with God. And it's really important that I get this. And one of the things I love, honestly, about our church, what I love about our campus is our campus is not like me. Because our campus is really encouraging and positive. Uh, I, I, I love all the emails and the texts and, and the social media interaction where people are just, man, it's, I would say 200 to 1, positive to negative, easily. Our, our church is so positive, and I'm thankful for that because that's the way the body of Christ should be. But the earth, this church, the church that James is addressing right now, man, they are negative. It is not going good, and they are gossiping. And by the way, that's another way that your words can, can hurt by being disloyal, by gossiping. Ooh, that's another sermon. And, uh, but but, but that's, where, that's where this church is at. And so James is interested in getting these guys to a place of maturity. 
And he's warning about words and how they can destroy the church. I need my tone to be fatherly, but sometimes it's harsh. Uh, Especially with my family sometimes, especially with my kids. You have to know this. It is not a badge of honor that you speak your mind. Some people brag about that. Well, I just say what's on my mind. Look, I just want to let you know, you're probably stupid. (laughs) And I mean that in a loving way. (laughs) Because just, look, out of your heart speaks your mind. The word says that it is desperately wicked. And so people that just, I just speak my mind. Well, you're just letting us know what's really in your heart. And, it, and I think that we've got to get the Holy Spirit back around it. But I know for me, like, I, I, here's the deal. I like getting the ball down the field, right? And as a leader and as a pastor, like, I, I love to see progress. I, I want to see us winning. I want to see us doing some things for the kingdom of God. The problem is, man, look, my words can, can carry some weight. I'm aware of that. And that's not something I'm bragging about. But the truth is this. I could send a text to someone just say, hey, I need to meet with you. I've got something I need to talk to you about and just leave it there. I'll meet with you in a couple of days. I guarantee you for those next couple of days, those people are going to be working harder than they ever have in their life. And some might say, well, isn't that the goal? To do the work of the kingdom? Well, maybe. But not like that. Not like that. Because you can have all the right motives in the world, but if your words are destroying God's work, and you think you're working with God, it's pretty counterproductive. And so we've got to figure this out. It says in Ephesians 5, 3, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. But then look what it goes to. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk. I just love the fact that we get to say silly in church, like in a verse. And silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. That's what we should have. So, so the Bible is comparing speech to immorality. Like I know that God wants us to stay pure, but here he's comparing joking to immorality. So here's the question. In James chapter three, who is the teacher? James. And so if he's off, Guess what? The people are going to be off too. And that's what he understands. So they're taking this letter. They're taking these epistles to to the scattered churches at 12 different locations. And he's saying, hey, hey, I'm hearing about and I'm seeing what's going on. And this is heading in the wrong direction. We've got to get this back right. He's the teacher. If a teacher is off, everyone he's teaching is off. If a parent is off, the kids are going to be off. Look, I'm raising kids. 
I'm raising kids with strong personalities. My six-year-old little girl thinks she's a teacher. She does. And we're just hoping with that sassy attitude that she's going to lead a company someday and not a gang in a prison. Because... You know what I'm talking about? Because here's the deal. Look, this time of year, if you got multiple kids, you know what I'm talking about. You got some kids, you're praying for the kids. You got other kids, you're praying for the teacher. God help them. We got a, we got a couple of each. So, But how many teachers do we have really then? I picked on myself a little bit, right? School teachers, coaches, trainers, professors. What about moms, dads, grandparents, doctors, nurses, life group leaders, kids ministry, youth ministry? The truth is this, we are all teaching someone, every one of us. The question is, what kind of teacher are you? Because I I feel like you can really kind of fall into two different modes with this. You can either be a critic as a teacher or you can be a coach as a teacher. And here's the difference. A critic addresses you publicly, but a coach will address you privately. A critic crushes you. Coach builds you up. Critic aims to catch you in a vulnerable situation. A coach aims to make you less vulnerable. Critic res- recruits others to recruit, re- uh, critique you. You met people like that, like, man, if I could just find more people that agree with my nasty attitude and heart against this person. And that's what a critic does. But a coach makes you better so others respect you. A critic hits you on your worst day. And the problem with that is, look, how many of y'all have had some worse days, like every single one of us. And, and that's what a critic is trying to say, man, I can't wait to, you know, most of us on social media, we're only posting stuff like about our best days, but a critic would just love to have their own account posting you on your worst day. Like, like catching those candid pictures and videos of you in your worst moments, right? By the way, the enemy is called the accuser of the brethren. So if you want to go in that mode, you are right in alignment with Satan. That's right where he wants you to be. That's one of his favorite things to do is to focus on your worst day, to keep you reminded about your worst day. And here's the deal. At one point or another, we're all going to stand at the judgment throne, right? And I just want to let you know that's the day you want to have a good day. You want to have a good day. Like you don't want to walk away from that meeting. Hey, man, how'd it go? Like that, that, that's not where you want to be. And I want to guarantee you this. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it'll be your best day. Why? Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of that, you stand before God. You're going to be flipping out because you're going to start thinking about, oh man, oh, that day and that day and that day. And God's going to look at you and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I see Easter. 
I see the resurrection of my son that paid the price for your worst days. That's how God sees us. So I think that's the heart and the mentality that we should have with each other. How many of you are a critic? Man, critics, they, they love to, they want to degrade you. They want publicly to embarrass you. But a coach will say, hey, step over here. Let me talk to you in private. That is the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. You also have to understand that your words, just a side note, your words can make you weird and creepy. And Christians have a big issue with this. Because we talk in terms and with the language that the rest of the world just think, what is, what? Are, what? Like, I don't want to be sacrilegious and this isn't good theology, but some, some people are just way oversaved. Like, I only date Jesus. I only eat pizza that's been delivered, brother. Amen. I I only sleep under my sheets because the Holy Spirit is my comforter. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. (laughs) Blah. (laughs) And so the thing is, you you could have a really good heart, but but you're not very intuitive. And you're not getting a good read on the world around you and the people around you. And by the way, you're not helping the kingdom either. So know that you're loved and accepted by your heavenly father and you don't have to sound spiritual to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So just rest, rest in who he is. There's this woman that was caught in adultery and was brought before Jesus and how I many you know that was a pretty bad day? Probably one of her worst days. Right before Jesus. And what, what did all the religious people do? The first thing they did is they brought the words. But to me, it was like for every word they had, they were picking up a rock and they were getting ready to stone this lady. Like, here's the word, but man, I've got, This is the reason why we're justified to do this. And and Jesus reminded them of their worst days. (laughs) Not out loud, just, I don't think he called them out by name. He's a coach. By the way, God still likes to coach even religious people. He's still trying to guard them, protect them. He's still trying to shield them. He's still trying to cover their weakness of legalism. But he just points this out and and slowly but surely people start dropping rocks. And so my question to you is, what rocks have you picked up that are your judgment towards someone else or towards yourself? Because there is a rock quarry available But I think today God would ask us to drop some rocks, to drop some of those words, to drop some of the accusations and get focused back on his truth. In James chapter three, starting in verse three, it says this, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example, although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest 
is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. I love James. It's, it's, like, it's like Proverbs in the New Testament. It's, it's wisdom literature in the New Testament. This is what you have to understand. We spend a fifth of our lives with our mouths open talking. A fifth of our lives. The daily words spoken by the average person could write a 50-page book. Some are like, no, not my husband. <laughs> he just grunts. <laughs> okay, so some of you could write enough to like do a picture book for kids. But then some of you, some of you, you got a whole library. Because we just... We talk, and it's talking about how animals are tamed. And, and here's the deal. Like, you see these people like taming eagles and a tiger, a, a bear. They're like Swiss Family Robinson. And like, you know, like amazing with these animals. One of the reasons why we don't have a lot of pets is because I don't like training pets. Like, I've failed miserably at this before. Like, the pets wind up training me, which is what happens to some of y'all. Like, you wind up being dictated by them. And so... It's amazing to me, though, how we can, we can tame dolphins to jump through hoops and, and, and dogs to shake hands, and we can even teach demons, I mean cats, to use the toilet. But, <laughs> but we can't tame our lips to keep our mouths closed. So he uses three analogies. Because right now it doesn't seem like there's a lot of hope <laughs> right now. It's like Because even if you read the scriptures, it's like, it's hopeless. You can't tame it. You can't. There is some hope that's in this. But he uses three analogies, a bit in a horse's mouth, a spark with a forest fire and a rudder with a ship. So the point is this, little things have big power. Words matter. Words matter. You guys remember, and they, they, I'm sure they don't say this kind of stuff anymore. It's probably way more brutal now. But remember when we were little and we were in like elementary school, and there was all this saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say to me bounces off me and knocks you out. That was my version, but it was like, I had a lot of anger. But those are just coping mechanisms. They don't, they don't work. They're not true. And for me, when I was a little kid, man, there were some words <laughs> that hurt. Uh, being told that I would never be able to be successful in classes, um, that I might as well just result to, to being in special needs education for the rest of my life because I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to, to read. Uh, being told I was weak. Uh, being called a crybaby because I was sensitive by people that loved me or said that they loved me. You know, there were some words, and they were said quick, and some of them said in jest, some said in anger, but I'm telling you, there was a list of them, 
But I'm here to let you know this too. That one word spoken from the throne of God, from his word, over a lifetime of negativity will completely shatter it all and set you towards success and set you towards God's plan and God's purpose. And I'm a testimony of that. It says in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You have to understand this. If you're going to use your words, you better start aiming them at the right battle. Because there is a war and there is some strong language that needs to be used. But it is never going to be towards a person. It's never going to be towards your government. It's never going to be towards your authority. It's never going to be towards your mom, towards your dad, towards your brother, towards your sister. I don't care how brutal they were, how cruel they were, how mean they were. I don't care how ungodly they might have been. I don't care how tyrannical they may be. Your fight is never going to be against them. It is always going to be an eternal battle against the enemy, against Satan himself. That's where your battle is. So it's a really good idea to start figuring out where you should start pointing those strong words. But in this verse, there's this word struggle. In the Greek, that's the word pele, not wele, pele. And it's a wrestling term. But, but when you looked at it, when you study up on this and how, how the Greeks, when they would wrestle, how they would determine the victor of a wrestling match is when one of the guys was so exhausted and beat up that the other one would stand over him and put his foot on his throat. And once that happened, then they would declare the winner. Man, I think that is a great picture. Because some of you guys are struggling in your homes, and you are paying your family. You are choking the life out of it. And I'm telling you, you with your foot on your kid's throat is not a great picture. But I do know this, God would love us to start getting a picture of our foot on the throat of the enemy. Saying, look, I'm not gonna let my family, I'm not gonna let myself use destructive words. To choke the life out. But I'm going to raise them up to storm the gates of hell every day. Words have power. James 1.26. If a man thinks he serves God and does not hold his tongue, he, but he deceives his heart, this, person, this person's service is worthless. Man, this is some strong stuff. Proverbs 18.21. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Proverbs 15, 4. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Why must I watch what I say? First of all, my words direct where I'm going. My words direct where I'm going, like a rudder, like a rudder. Here's the deal. You have to understand, this is not just what happens to you. See, People have said some things over you, some curses over you. And whether you realize it or not, it has set the course of your life. It has defined your rudders, defined your destination. At this point, that is the truth. God can break that off of you. 
But you have to be completely submitted to something that is much more powerful and true than the curses that were spoken over you initially. Which means you've got to get a hold of the word of God and what God thinks about you, what he says about you. So you have to understand that that's been the case. You also have to understand that the words that you speak can set the course of someone else's life. Your kids. And here's the deal. A course can be dramatically affected with the smallest of adjustments. So that word said in jest as a joke, it may have just adjusted your kid's trajectory by 10 degrees, but 10 degrees over the course of a person's life will get them way off of target. So you have to be understanding, look, your words, your words will direct where you're going and where someone else is going too. Number two, your tongue can destroy what you have. Your tongue can destroy what you have. And then it talks about a spark and a force. Like how many of y'all seen some destruction happen from just a little spark? I got a video. I think it demonstrates this really, really well. Just a small spark. Watch what happens. A little spark. But where's the dog? There's the dog. This is my favorite one. (laughs) This is what happens when I get a little too distracted when I'm doing sermon prep. (laughs) If you don't think that just a small spark can cause a lot of destruction, why don't you study up on the fires in California right now? Yeah, they're just smart. It's a small spark. And you have to understand that in your life. You get a little sassy in conversation with your spouse. Just a little bit of salsa on one of those words. A little spark, and all of a sudden, it is like napalm. Like you are laying waste to your marriage, to your home, to everything around you. Your tongue can destroy what you have. Verse six, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. You have to realize that, that there was an entire generation of God's people that were destroyed in the wilderness that never got to see the promised land. And the only thing that determined that was their words because they complained. And I know a lot of people, man, because of their words, they're missing out on God's promises. They're missing out on God's best. Number three, my tongue displays who I am, who you really are. It reveals your heart. Matthew 12, 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 37, for by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Now, this is so interesting to me because I used to think, like, if God was going to judge me, he's going to judge me by what's in my heart. Like, he's going to reach into my chest and pull stuff out. But what this is saying is now he just has, he could, all he has to do is use a file of your words, the things that you've said. Whew. Look, throughout history, every significant movement was led by persuasive words. 
right? Hitler, Martin Luther King Jr., President Lincoln, words matter. But the difference with being a Christ follower is not just how good of a communicator you are, but the power of the Holy Spirit through you. And Paul said this. He actually said, I I didn't come with wise and persuasive words, but rather by the demonstration of the power of God. Whatever is inside inside of you, under pressure, that's what's going to come out. And here's the thing. Like, how many of y'all... When you get really mad, you get angry, you become like an amazing communicator. Like that's how it is with me. Like the matter I am, man, those words just flow. They just come out. Uh, and, 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 and in my mind, I'm like, whoa, man, I didn't even know I was this smart, but I am totally <laughs> laying it down. This is amazing. But that probably means that what's on the inside of me is not that pleasing to God. Whatever is under pressure, whatever's on, when it, something's under pressure, what's on the inside will ultimately come out like an orange. You squeeze an orange, what comes out? Five of you know the juice comes out of an orange when you squeeze it. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why you don't get enough vitamin C in your life. Orange juice. A person under pressure with an angry heart will have a harsh word. A person under pressure with a fearful heart will have a negative word. A person under pressure with an insecure heart will have a boasting word. A person under pressure with an impure heart will have filthy words. A person under pressure with a bitter heart will have critical words. You do need to know, though, that even the words you think, they matter. Like, which person is healthier? The person that has thoughts like this, nothing good ever happens to me. Man, why am I so stupid? No one will ever love me. I'll always be depressed. Or a person that thinks like this, God has a great plan for my life. I walk in the favor of God. Today, God's gonna give me a great day. I promise you, you follow those two people, you're gonna see each one of them are going to experience pressure. But there's going to be two different products that come out. So I want to give you three words that can change your words forever. First word is this. Pause. Pause. James 1.19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. All of us are raising kids, especially if you have several kids. How many of you have that one kid that moves 10 times slower than the rest of your kids? I have that child. And, and I, I, want, I want to protect him and cover him in this moment um, by not pointing out specifically which one he is. But his name starts with R and it rhymes with Eves. And uh, that kid, oh my gosh. If you want him to get something done, 
you better schedule it out a good week. Because it's just, and here's the thing, it's not because he's rebellious. It's not because he's, it's just he moves so slow, you know? So, I mean, we're celebrating that school starts tomorrow, but we also know he has to start getting dressed for school tonight (laughs) because, (laughs) oh my goodness. And so when I was growing up, if we were moving slow, my dad said, come on, kids, you're moving slower than molasses. (laughs) And then sometimes molasses in January, that's really slow, okay? And so I've used that term, come on, Reeves, you're moving slower than molasses. And he's like, (laughs) I still haven't explained to him what that is. But here's the deal, the more you try to hurry him, It don't work, okay? And so, but this is what I, I do love about him. He's also the sweetest when it comes to his words. I think there's a correlation. He also is, he's not, he's not he can be brash. I'm not saying he's a perfect kid, but, but out of all of our kids, man, he, he thinks about things to say. He pauses. Some of you need to speak slow like molasses. Pause. Just pause. Pause. Wait before you speak. Proverbs ten nineteen. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Stop finishing other people's sentences for them. Like, I, I, I'm the guy that tells you what you're thinking. And that gets old really quick. There's times when my kids have come home and they've had really good news to tell me, but I'm already aware of something that's going on and I don't even let them finish. I don't even let them, I don't even let them celebrate. I, I just, I'm cutting them off. Pause, pause. Number two, ponder, ponder. Luke 2, 19. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know what the things that it's talking about? When an angel came and said, you're gonna give birth to the savior of the world. I'm so glad social media didn't exist back then, you know? But Mary clearly didn't have the attitude that I know I have and a lot of us have sometimes where she's like, hey, 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 y'all, hey, listen up. God told me I'm having his son. She probably didn't partly because everybody would be like, okay. You crazy? But she pondered these things in her heart. She pondered them. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it until afterwards. There's four types of people, four types of people. Those who think before they speak, best model. Those that think before they speak. Then there's those that think while they speak. That's usually me. Good, not best. Those who think after they speak or post or Instagram or Facebook. And then those that never think. (laughs) 
Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That's my prayer for those people. Because typically they're just very insecure people that are looking for people to affirm them. And that's why they're not thinking. Ponder. Number three, pray. Pray. I remember uh, when I was a kid, we came home from a a pretty long trip. And when we we had... we had this freezer that would hold all of our game meat and everything. And uh, when we got home, there was a puddle of water under it with like, you know, dried out blood and stuff. And, you know, that's not usually a good thing to see under the freezer. And so, uh, so we opened it. It smelled like a dead body. Uh, it was horrible. It's like one of the worst smells that you can. And we had elk meat in there and deer meat and game meat especially. Mm, not good. And, and so, and so of course the kids got recruited immediately to clean it out. And, um, and as we're cleaning out, we're thinking, man, this stinks is, you know, we, we need this meat. We, when, when I was growing up, like we, game meat was a part of our normal diet. Like we survived off of game meat. And so we have to buy another freezer, but as we're cleaning up one and, and, and cleaning around it, we had to move it out. And when we moved it out, we realized it was unplugged. The freezer wasn't broken. It just wasn't plugged in. In some of your lives, the issue is, is, is not that you're broken, but you stink bad because you've gotten unplugged. Uh, because you've gotten disconnected from the presence of God. And prayer is what gets you reconnected. So if you want to know what creates one of the best filters... It's time with God. It's time in conversation with him. It's amazing how when you start learning what God sounds like, you want to sound like him. And, and, and when it's in prayer and it's in the word, man, it just, it'll get you plugged back in to the spirit of God. I don't have a lot of time to go over this last part. I'm out of time. I've gone over a little bit. Isaiah 6, though, talks about Isaiah is is a prophet called by God. And he has this encounter with God where where he's standing in the holies of holies. And and, and there's these angels flying around, these seraphim, they're flying around. And when Isaiah sees the magnitude of God's glory, when he sees his holiness, and the angels are declaring, holy, holy, holy. And it says that the sound of these angels declaring God's holiness, that it shook the whole room. It shook everything around. And in that place, Isaiah, he said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm undone because I'm, I'm a man with unclean lips with a people of unclean lips. And then this angel, and this is, this is symbolic, but this angel brought this, this hot coal and he touched Isaiah's lips. And God says, see, I've, I've made you pure again. I've made you pure. Now you can go. And then Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. 
we are on the cusp of something I think really awesome as, as a church um, that involves way more than just what happens in this room on a Sunday morning, but, but the impact that God has called us to make in our city and community. And I believe that there's a harvest that is coming. But I also know this, we've got to get ourselves plugged in, plugged in to the presence of God, to the body of Christ, into life group, into discipleship. And we've got to get our words submitted to the presence of God. And if we'll do that, he'll use us. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I wanna pray for a couple different people. The first people I wanna pray for today is any person who, as I was talking, you, you, you were rehearsing the things that have been said over you that you realize have caused destruction, that have have steered the course of your life in some way. And and if that's you, will you just put your hand up right now? Nobody looking around, if that's you, you just, you know there's some words that have been said that have directed your course. Father God, right now, every hand that's raised, every hand that's raised, we bind and rebuke the lies of the enemy. We bind and rebuke every negative word, every curse that's been spoken against any one of these people. We identify the root and we remove it in Jesus' name. And God, I pray that your truth, your word, your promises and who you are would replace every void that has just been created by those curses being removed in Jesus' name. I also want to pray for those that you know that your words that your words have caused destruction your words have steered the course of someone's life and you're ready to repent and not only are you ready to repent but you're ready to go and make that right if you can and if that's you would you please put your hand up let's just confess that you know your words Father God right now We just confess that sin. We confess. We ask for your forgiveness. We know that the power of our words, the enemy leverages those things. And so God, every word that's come from our mouths that's hurt someone, that's caused destruction in someone's life, that's set the course of someone's life. We bind and rebuke the things that we've said that could try to hurt someone. We confess, God, and we ask that our words would be in alignment with your Holy Spirit, would be in alignment with your word, with your truth. Help us to understand what you say about us so that we can boldly declare what you think about others. We thank you for that. If you're here today, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I wanna give you a chance to have relationship with him. And maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. But if that's you, nobody looking around, if you're ready just to to say, hey, I identify with that. I know that I'm away from God right now and I need him. Nobody looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but go ahead and slip your hand up right now. I need a relationship with Jesus today. Okay, got it. Anybody else? As soon as I see you, put your hand down. 
Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Got it. Anybody else? I need a relationship with God today. Okay. Father God, every person that just raised their hand, I thank you, Lord, that you meet with them right where they're at. The word says, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you can be saved. It's really important that you go public with this decision. You tell somebody about it. Coming up shortly, we're gonna have an opportunity to do that through water baptism. But right there, have an honest conversation with God. Just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I can't save myself but I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I can't understand your love and I can't understand your forgiveness, but in faith, I receive it. Thank you. God, I wanna repent. I wanna turn away from living the way I've been living and I wanna live for you. Help me, help me to do that. Help me to understand your word. Help me to understand your plan and purpose for my life. Help me to be connected to the body of Christ so I can learn and grow be encouraged and encourage others. Thank you, God, for revealing to me what my calling and my purpose is in you. Father, I thank you for every person that just said that prayer. Thank you, God, that today you've touched them. Because of Jesus, you've touched them. And today, no matter what their worst days look like in their past, now you only see their best day. You see Jesus. Thank you for that, Father God. Help us be a people that honor you, that honor your word, that are led by your Holy Spirit and the things we say and how we say them and when we say them and who we say them to. God, just let us walk in your wisdom. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.